what's going on on the Patreon? Well, we're interviewing Nikki Wolfuck, a author as well as a amazing chocolatier. It kind of reflects more of how I see things because I've been on the outside for so long in so many different communities and not feeling like I fit in. And so when I decided to create the chocolate company, I wanted to create a community. So that has always been like the first and foremost. So we find, you know, we have these adventures, we have these different flavors that we taste and, you know, we're, we're tapping into different places, different people and different experiences, but we're also coming together with this mutual understanding. And so that was my motivator. And so that's what I hope to bring when it comes to the chocolates. So if you want to get access to that episode now, that's patreon.com slash is it transphobic. Hey, Patreon shout out to Drew, Kate, Becca, Donna, Lindsay, Kirsten, Brian, Taya, Alex, Janelle, Morgie, and Unwoman. If you want to be amazing like these folks, even for just a dollar a month, you can go to patreon.com slash isatransphobic. Or if you heard an episode and you particularly liked it and you want to get me a coffee, go to Kofi, K-O-F-I slash isatransphobic. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Here is Shrill. Is It Transphobic will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I am the host and the producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast. And today I'm being joined by Chloe Kozer. Hello. Yay. So, Chloe, I met you a couple years ago. We did a uh, panel together talking about like and I actually I had to go through all of those videos because I had to create a reel for a voice acting thing and it was just so funny because I was like oh my gosh that's right like I'm gonna talk with you today but like reliving this from like I think it was two years ago maybe three years ago it was like three three and a half I hadn't been out for that long yet um yeah I honestly as you're as you're just as we're talking right now I feel like we talk a lot because we engage with each other a lot on Facebook but this is technically the second conversation we've had, even though we've known each other for like going on three and a half, four years. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's so funny because we're just so both so busy that like now that everything has like the world has stopped, we could finally kind of sit down and be like, oh, that's right. Okay. Well, let's, let's chat for a moment, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really lovely. I've been really, uh, I've been really excited to do this. Yay! Yeah. So, uh, Chloe, one of the big things, you're a stand-up comedian, you're a one-person show artist. Like, how do you describe yourself as far as your, your art and your medium? Um, I, I kind of just consider myself uh, a comedian. Like, honestly, stand-up is, like, the thing I do the least of. Like, I do uh, sketch comedy, improv, character, storytelling, music. Uh, I direct. I act. Um, like, if comedy is the umbrella in which all of it fits so yeah mm. that's that's how that's how i view myself as an artist <laughs> very awesome <laughs> i so i'm i'm stoked to talk about this uh this topic that we're going to talk about today which is the hulu original show shrill um specifically because like i i remember watching it like i remember not stopping myself from watching it but just kind of thinking like oh what is this i'll probably watch it eventually and then like putting it off to the side and then i started hearing about people like i saw a bunch of think pieces about patty harrison and the character of ruthie and i was just like i okay i guess i gotta see this now <laughs> so i binged both seasons that were out at the time that i started watching it and i i'm in love with this show i really love it like what like, tell me a little bit about uh, how you came across the show and what uh, your opinions were of it when you started watching it. Um, I 
I came across it a little bit randomly. What is the what is the main actress's name? I love her so much. Ad Bryant. Oh, Ad Bryant. Yep. Yeah, Ad Ad Bryant. And I knew it was a show about um, like a like like fat women issues. And I am a fat woman. And I was like, well, I know it's going to be funny because it's Ad Bryant and she's a comic genius. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if I was ready to deal with like the stuff around weight because it it gets real about weight issues um i actually somehow i i wasn't familiar with patty harrison before this and i didn't clock her when the series started so i didn't know she was trans until she made a joke is this because i'm trans um (laughs) with spoilers spoilers in the show it's not she's an absolute monster um and then i was like wait is that is that actress trans because i if it is that's funny and if it's not I can't like the show anymore. And yeah, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's trans, she's spectacular. I was I was blindsided by it. I actually, to be 100% honest, I didn't like her character until I found out she was trans. <laughs> well, okay, why like let's 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 dig into that. Why not? Like what 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 kept you from from getting into the the, the Ruthie character? Um honestly because uh I think it's because she just felt like a typical mean girl to me like it felt like she was status on high like a very like traditionally attractive woman who is being mean i'm like well that's that's fine and then it's like oh no she's this is a character who's operating from a lower position of status which made me which made me like it more and and also probably just like gender bias of being like oh no this is this is like a role that i would dream of getting to have like this is the first time for me it was the first time i saw a trans person in media doing a part that i would actually want to perform and be capable of performing um like that was the first representation of like trans comedy in a major show that i could relate with yeah, I know. I know for me, and again, like because I came in knowing because of these think pieces, knowing Patty Harrison. Which for for those listening, I have had the damnedest time not calling her Patty Jenkins. She is not the director <laughs> of Wonder Woman, though I will happily watch Patty Harrison's direction of Wonder Woman. I have no idea what that would look like, <laughs> but I keep Wonder Woman to be a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. I want this. Just this. This is, if nothing else, hashtag Patty Harrison for Wonder Woman. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I I agree. Like, there's something about Ruthie that that the best way I can describe it is Ruthie feels like an alien from outer space who was adopted by affluent, <laughs> like affluent parents <laughs> in a suburb, and just kind of understands humanity enough to like to exist but just on a weird level of like you shouldn't exist (laughs) yeah the character doesn't make the the character only makes sense in i think like a tv in 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 like a a like she is to me far and away the most surreal part of the show like Mm -hmm. there's no way in reality like the rest of the show i can i can buy but uh Patty Harrison's character is like, there's no way that character stays employed. Like all the like egregiously evil stuff she does. This is a, this is a character who has zero redeeming qualities. Like there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing good about her. She does nothing but be mean. She does nothing but like leech off of people and show intense emotional cruelty. Like there's not even a sparkle of kindness or goodness in her which is i think a funny character type but it can't really exist in a drama because she is just villainous but then because it's that role in a comedy that the character's just like we we've decided that the character is harmless uh <laughs> even though there's, she's there's... <laughs> Well, there's this beautiful like naivete to her meanness that is just sort of like it, it the only way I can describe it is there is an internal logic that makes sense to Ruthie that makes no sense to anyone else in the world that we're seeing or us as the audience. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just, I'm thinking about that, like, specifically, I literally just went through the whole series 
and just looked at the the Patty Harrison moments isolated, the Ruthie moments isolated. And there's just this like weird, when you start looking at only those moments, it's a weird narrative that we start seeing. Like at one point, she celebrates that uh, one of the main characters fires someone for the first time and she starts singing happy birthday <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense but it does and so then immediately john cameron mitchell who john cameron mitchell is in this show has a very intense conversation with that same character walks away patty harrison just sort of goes Feliz navidad to you <laughs> like, you know what has just occurred to me she behaves <laughs> like she thinks every day is Groundhog's Day. <laughs> this is a character who is behaving in a way that is only entertaining to themselves. In, in a way that I feel like one could only do if they believed they were truly invincible and immortal and nothing mattered. <laughs> like she has she has the confidence of a uh of like a Greek demigod. <laughs> There's also just like something in the way Patty Harrison portrays the character. Like I'm thinking the the very last episode of the series that we have right now, the last episode of season two, the only time we see her is she's out in an alley as A.D. Bryant. And I can never remember names of characters, but uh, A.D. Bryant's good friend from work are having, who is now her boss, uh, are having a conversation. And she just says, uh, like, I knew I'd see you out in an alley. If you're giving hand jobs out here, look out because there's a heavy police presence. And it's just like, you know, there's actually like something nice to that as much as it's like, you know, like, hey, that's actually like a weirdly pro-sex worker, but also like <laughs> specifically in the way she delivers it. Because it's not Although a... if she said giving, it doesn't necessarily mean selling. Right. <laughs> that's true. No, that's true. Yeah. If you're just out here to <laughs> people off recreationally. Yeah. Like, okay, so it's sex positive in a weird yeah. way <laughs> and again like like i'm just thinking about like as an actor like how that could be portrayed especially with this like mean girl archetype that we're talking about how it could be like oh if you're giving hand jobs out here it's just like patty harrison delivers it in a like very matter of fact like oh by the way if you're giving if you're giving hand jobs out here you should know that there's a heavy police presence and it's just like very like <laughs> that is the funnier choice because it's very inclusive of like hey i'm just warning you like <laughs> Yeah, she lives in a different genre. Yeah, than the rest yeah. Of the show. Like she is like the truth. The truth is, with a character like her, if you removed her entirely from the show, the show is honestly probably as good. It makes as much sense. Like clearly, there's not this incredible, like bizarre life to it in a character with like so many stunning lines and deliveries. I mean, she she's like is a pretty pure comic relief character in a comedy that otherwise has heart in everything it does um yeah it's uh it's really it feels really interesting to have that character and i think i think that's partially what turned me off to her to begin with is i was like i didn't feel like there was any substance to the character in a show that is otherwise heavily substantive and i'm like i need some explanation for her behavior in a show that is this otherwise like grounded like how is she not fired and we and i think we do get like that explanation later that she is just running around on raw charisma and um sort of exploiting like her social cachet is like a young like attractive hip uh drugged out woman <laughs> Cause she and she does like constantly like it starts off as I mean it never stops being a joke, but it starts off as kind of a joke, but it becomes like more of a serious joke after a while. This idea of like, oh, like I'm I'm like Gabe's tr like cute trans stepdaughter. Like I'm just like I'm Gabe's daughter. Like this is a thing. And it's not really a thing, but at the same time it kind of like keeps being a thing. <laughs> yeah. That like she I mean the uh because the character of of Gabe is like struggling to stay relevant like it's that it's that character that like probably in his youth was leftist but now is more liberal but still wants to feel radical but is actually just a rich white dude now um and then patty who's like young and 
and and trans and like more at the periphery i think becomes like his icon like like i think she understands that he needs her around to feel like he's not a rich old white man there's a line that john cameron mitchell who plays gabe states in season one episode five where he says do i look like the establishment i'm wearing nail polish and it's just like <laughs> like yeah like exactly like you're saying like this idea of like he he was probably very counterculture and now the culture is what the counterculture was and so now he's in this place of like ah what do i do now <laughs> yeah see there was a lot of older um older white gay men cis gay men uh it is like actually you have a lot of power now you have a lot of power and money now there's like that that mentality particularly from uh like particularly from the the 90s the late 90s into the 2000s with a lot of uh cis gay white men where it's like well i've finally got something that i am a minority in and it's like it's a weird mentality and you see that a lot like you see that a lot in queer as folk you see that a lot in like a lot of other things that once you actually like start recognizing it it's like okay there's there's a lot of like bullshit in that mentality that you still need to work through uh and yeah like it's it's very much like i think that particularly with john cameron mitchell the way he plays gabe and the gabe character they do a really good job of showing that off and showing the like you were probably an okay dude you probably are an okay dude and as the series goes on they make him more of an okay dude but at the same time it's just like you got a lot to unpack buddy <laughs> yeah he's also he's also like not an okay dude uh like, yeah. i'm feeling hard for them. Like, i honestly like i have a God, I've been I've been saying this for for a while, but that um, uh, white cis gay men are the new white cis straight men. Like, <laughs> there is like this this bit of like, like because I feel like on on like the queer rungs of social status, like rich white gay cis men are way at the top, and I feel like like the characters like him will still behave as though they're on the extreme periphery and that they have all the uh like that because they have been persecuted that they could not possibly they they are not capable of persecuting anyone else so they do not ever have to analyze their behavior and i think we could see that in like any type of oppressed person um that there is going to be like that that sect that goes well i'm not being bad i'm incapable of being bad because people have been bad to me um but it's like no you live you live long enough and you accrue power and that is really easy to misuse that power you know i i like i know i know the like to me i feel like like it's like this is, this is kind of a dan savage isn't it this character is a little bit dan savage <laughs> Where it's like, oh, you used to be relevant, but now you're just pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <sighs> the uh, the the other there's some there's some interesting things with uh, with Ruthie as well. Like I know with they tend to give her a lot more like character beats at the end of a season like the beginning of the season is always about like ad bryant and the people that are directly around her character uh, and again her character is not ad bryant i'm just bad with names but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the ad bryant character and the people that are directly involved in her personal life uh but near the end of the seasons like in season five the first thing that we see with ruthie is she's getting into the office after ad bryant's character is getting into the office after publishing a piece which very much like attacks gabe because gabe needed to be taken down a peg to be perfectly frank uh and so she he basically like he's sitting at her desk patty harrison's ruthie just comes over and just says run and it's just like, she's actually like, as much as she's a mean girl, there's like, there's a little bit of character that we're seeing in her because she's immediately like, run. And then AD Bryant's character's like, well, I'm not, I'm, everything's fine. It's like, all right, you do your thing, but Gabe is pissed. And I think the fact that they gave that to Ruthie was a really good way to give her an in of like, she's a mean girl. She's like, she's like, she's absurd. But at the same time, she gets some things that she doesn't actually like want to actively hurt anyone else in the office yeah i also think that it's wonderful to do that like when the when the silly character gets serious 
like that is a wonderful alarm bell to ring like when our comic relief character is suddenly engaged in the dramatic part which i mean the the handful of truly dramatic scenes that she is in have incredible weight it's actually my my, my favorite mechanic in comedy or my favorite mechanic about comedy is it's really unusually good at dropping people's guard like i i truly like to go like my comedy i like an intersection of like slapstick and trauma like what i want to do is i want to bear my trauma and then i want to do something unbelievably stupid and then when the audience gets lulled into that then like hit him with trauma again hit him with dumb again because those are the two of the things that i like best are expressing my trauma and being ludicrous and so that the, the moments where she is serious you're so not prepared for it and then it hits so heavy and like true yeah i mean very been i'm i guess i'm very specifically talking about the scene where she talks about trans trans trauma and like her imagined tragic backstory yeah Later in uh, season two, I think it was season two, episode seven, where they're having a, a salon at Gabe's house, uh, and it's revealed that, in fact, Ruthie has been living there. Ruthie's been living there for years. Uh, and again, bad at names. Character who is <laughs> our protagonist's friend, who's now the boss, uh, he is he goes and he goes with ruthie into her room and first off like one of the big things that she says is like she shows off her gas mask collection from world war i don't know eight <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's a gas mask collection i just hung it i just hung it up <laughs> do you like how i've arranged them the ones that had people die in them most recently are closer to my bed <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> All of this is horrifying, but the thing that, that we're keyed in on, the thing that this other character is keyed in on is, oh, have you been living here? Like, yeah, I've been living here for two years. So let's stop talking about that. Um, and so he's having, he's trying to have this really nuanced conversation about like, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? Oh, everything must be sad. And she first, again, tries to undercut it by having like, by saying more about the gas masks and more about like stupid stuff. As he keeps pressing on, she turns it out on him and brings up his alcoholic wife. Uh, and ooh, then she leaves. And it, it is a moment like it is a moment that even though there is comedy and there's like laughter within it, which is what I think they do extremely well in this show. Like, even though it's funny, it still like hits you in an emotional way when Ruthie leaves the room and we're, we're just left there for a moment. Yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful, and like the conclusion of that is they catch up a couple of scenes later, and he's like, like she basically calls out, is like, you think that because I'm, so do you think that because I'm trans that I have to have a tragic backstory? And then he's he goes like, honestly, yeah. And she's like, well, that, well, first off, I don't, and second off, if I did, it wouldn't be your business. Mm -hmm which is such a wonderful subversion because up until there's that, well, well, first off, there's a subversion because up until that conversation, I was like, oh God, does she have a tragic backstory? Do I have to see this again? Do I have to see that trans people only exist as like people escaping and living through trauma? And then we get, we get the, no, I didn't. But then I think it even more important, like the thing that is most nuanced to me is even if I did, it's not your business, which for me leaves the door open that maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it is letting the audience know that you will never get to know because it has nothing to do really with who she is and how she lives. Like it's her choice what any of that means. And it's not something that we get to see. Like it takes away that, uh, I mean, the voyeurism of trans torture porn, which I think it says verbatim in the show. Um, yeah. Uh, she says, uh, the trauma porn that you think is my life like the, the, that's the the exact line as response like talking about this whole situation like i forget what he says because i didn't write it down because i basically just paid attention to patty harrison but like yeah but like he says something about after she goes after she says oh i get it you think because i'm trans my family must have kicked me out or something i live here because gabe and tony are super fucking rich and i don't have to pay rent and they worship me and he says something about like how he was perceiving it. And she says the trauma porn that you think it, my life is. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like, 
and he lets himself be called out too like which i also really yeah. like is he doesn't get defensive he doesn't get shitty about it. he's like yeah i i did assume that and i i just i do i think my favorite thing is that it closes down the entire avenue is we don't find out that she didn't we don't find out that backstory because there is such a a cultural fetishization of coming out as trans and like this idea of like a before life and an afterlife and like uh that that transformation that 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 like imagined pivot is the center of the person's identity or the center of their narrative and with her character we are completely denied access to that narrative so we know that that cannot be her character arc because that's not trans people's character arc that's not like my narrative function um oh love it <laughs> yes yes so much fucking yes and then very much like you were talking about this uh this concept of having a very serious moment and then kind of undercutting it as a way to both like take in the moment but then also have a laugh they go to hug <laughs> <laughs> Ruthie can't hug. Oh. Ruthie like starts to hug, and it's not like Ruthie's not into a hug. It's like at first she's tentative, and then she pulls an arm in. <laughs> she like stops the yeah, hug. Yeah, like, oh, putting whoops, both nope. arms around, she <laughs> kind of puts the her forearm of one arm at his neck, and then does <laughs> it the other way so that she's she's doing the arms in like the wrong direction, which I. I mean, I, I honestly sincerely thought it was just her being a fucker. Like, the, yeah. my, my skin of it is like, no, she's not even taking this seriously. Like, because <laughs> she gets to live her life how she wants to. So this is also a joke because she decides it is. <laughs> she just, she also says, oh, I missed. It's just like, you didn't miss. <laughs> yeah, oh, I missed. Which doesn't make any sense. And it's, again, it's a wonderful subversion of like the... <laughs> Oh well, now now there is peace. Now there's understanding. She's just like, nope, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for a lesson. Like I, I like I kind of did just give a lesson, but also the lesson is that this isn't what I am. I think that if that scene had ended with a sincere hug, it would have been undercutting the idea that she's not there to teach a lesson. Like if the hug is successful, then she's there to teach a lesson. The hug is not successful because that's not why she's there. She is a comic relief character. She get she has the right to just be that. Like, which for me is uh as a trans comedian feels very huge. It's like I don't I don't want to be a thing where I'm just like teaching cis people about trans stuff. I wanna be a loathsome idiot. Like that is like dream role for me. Like I think being horrible for no reason is extremely funny amongst consenting adults. <laughs> like I think that, that that savagery is like hilarious. And I do I feel like you found a lot of positivity in her. I find her morally <laughs> irredeemable. But that's what I that's what I like. She is a she is a mostly evil person. <laughs> and like, yeah, good, you get to be that. Because like a lot of shows have that character who is a comic relief character. Um, but typically if that character is, ha has any deviations from like straight, white, cis, het, male, then they're more defined by that. Or there's at least some sort of narrative that makes that more their focal point. Whereas, um, whereas, uh, Patty's transness is purposefully made incidental. Hmm. There's uh except outside of maybe being used as a status symbol for Greg is the Greg is the boss, right? Uh Gabe, I think is his name. Yeah. Gabe. Yeah, that Gabe yep. is like a little bit like I I like I'm friends with the trans person, which she's <laughs> willing to take advantage of. Yeah, which if he has uh financial capital and he wants social capital and he feels like hanging out with trans people is social capital, then fuck it. Why not? why not live rent free i mean i feel that like honestly as much yeah. as that was like kind of not like kind of a joke but as much as that's like a thing and like we were we were just analyzing it's like yeah i mean fuck it why not live rent free if you don't if there are no other strings attached <laughs> i i talked to uh um i i teach and coach uh t and b folk and black poc people for free 
which if anyone is listening to this and meets any of those criteria and wants to learn more about comedy, wants like things read, I'd do that for free. Yeah, and, and something that will come up is like, I'm worried that I'm being like hired or given this opportunity or like there's a scholarship that's only available to me because of of like my, my, my gender. And I'm like, take it, mm-hmm. take it, take any advantage you can, like steal take everything that isn't bolted down because so many doors are closed to us that when you do find that like quote unquote advantage like the breadcrumbs is like take the breadcrumbs then steal the fucking loaf of bread like get it like take advantage of that shitty old white cis gay dude exactly like yes like and i i think because i've had conversations with other people that feel differently about that and I do get it. I do get that idea of like, I want to be, I want to be picked up for my merit and my art and I'm good at this. And you know what? Like the world is not a meritocracy. Acting the artistic world specifically is not a meritocracy. We can't keep looking at that because a, who is the best artist? That's not a, that's not a real definable thing that we can look at who has advantages to get ahead that is a thing that we can look at that is a thing that we can see and if you're giving if you're being given the opportunity a make the decision for you because maybe you don't want to be the only trans person maybe you don't want to be the only person of color maybe you don't want to be the only uh person with a disability in a writer's room i i respect i respect that but like at the same time uh like yeah fuck it if you're getting the job take the job in my opinion <laughs> like, yeah i do i do completely understand like like not wanting to engage with 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 that um and there are certainly times where i've not engaged in things because i'm like i just don't want to be the only trans person like this is just it's it's hard like i've been in that position a lot in my career i've been in that position damn near exclusively since I've come out, like when I came out, I was the first openly trans performer at the UCB theater on either coast ever. Um, and that was a nightmarish position to be in. It's a well-meaning community, but oh my, I mean, it, it teethed on me. Like it learned a lot through me and uh, still a lot of problems, but like now there are actually other like TNB performers and writers in the space, uh, which is great. But I, I have been in so many rooms where I have been emotionally obliterated and uh, where I have been reduced to tears, where I've had panic attacks, where I've dissociated because what's happened has been like so bad and traumatic and ignorant. Um, and it's happened many times. I spent a lot of time in the, the now the now closed um, Upright Citizens Brigade training center bathroom. Like I had my stall, like I had my stall that I went to to have a panic attack. And then more, probably 10 times I texted someone who is in the room and I'm like, I need you to give me my things because I need to go home because I'm not okay. Um, Like I understand not wanting to be in this situation very strongly, but also if I am given any sort of opportunity, I do jump at it because I was, I was really repressed when I came out. Like, when I told my wife I was trans, the first thing she said was, you told me a year ago. And I didn't remember it until she brought it up. I thought I'd just learned it. Um, so I really was operating thinking that I was a straight white cis guy. And I knew what my career was going to be. I was, gonna, I was an amazing kooky neighbor. I was an amazing fun uncle. <laughs> Like in those those roles exists in the thousands and and, and tens of thousands, um, and that's not available anymore. Um, so yeah, like like get it and fuck them and uh, yeah any yeah it wasn't yeah, I... convinced to be good tirade, uh, yeah but yeah and that's why like any advantage i can get anything i can like take back and hold on to i will do in a second and i don't feel guilty about it that's that, and that's mostly i think what i i try and pass on is like if you're considering it but you're worried about feeling guilty don't feel guilty like if you want to take it but you're like is it moral to take it it's fine to take it it's also extremely moral to not want to take it but if 
Do you have any inclination? If your thought is like, God, I want to, but I don't know if I should. If you want to, you should get it, take yeah. it, steal it. Uh, and and thank you so much for for sharing because that like I know that that was also that's that's a lot like that is a lot. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you you sharing that with me and with us. Uh, I because I, I also echo that. I think ultimately the like it is almost a, a tool to try and stop us from attaining any amount of power in artistic spaces by saying to us like oh no you should you shouldn't you shouldn't do it if it's because of x y and z you should only do it because of <laughs> i know i'm not necessarily making like a specific statement with it. it it's just like i i feel like it is a tool to keep us out of spaces by saying don't take advantage of uh people trying to include you in like i yeah 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 take whatever's not bolted to the fucking ground yeah imo <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're welcome honestly i'm like i'm like compulsively open like i forget that people aren't and if i'd be like thank you for sharing with me it's like oh god i don't i don't think i could have not done that <laughs> it's like oh wait did like, i share a thing oh all right cool <laughs> i've written i've written a couple pieces that i performed and i was like when i was writing them i was like and here i'll go sad because that'll make this funny part funnier and then i remember i did one that was a song and then after a show like someone came up to me in tears and they were like, that was so moving. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess it would have that effect. Mm. I forgot that sharing trauma does that. <laughs> I think also when you translate trauma into art, because I've, I've done one person shows about my own experiences as well. And like, I've, I've done other things that have to do like directly with experiences I've had and having people come up to you afterwards, after you've spent months writing a thing, editing a thing, working with other artists to create the thing, get it up on its feet and do the thing. I don't want to say that you become numb because you never ever become numb, but there is a certain extent that you kind of have to move past it as an artist to continue to do it every night so that you don't like fall into a hole of, Oh God, everything is awful. Uh, and because of that, like people who are just experiencing it the first time will come up to you and be emotional and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I, ah, I feel and it's like, Oh shit, you feel all right, cool. But, hi, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, I, I feel like I had a different experience mm. than one person show where it was a little, at least medium painful every time. Um, but I think I find a great deal of catharsis in that. Like my, my one show, I like was workshopping it for so long. And like, it was originally at one theater that closed down and then it moved somewhere else. It went from being an hour show to a half hour show that by the time it was reaching its finalized state, I realized that the emotional narrative of the show no longer had anything to do with who I now was, um, and I had to rewrite the narrative of the show because when I wrote the show, I was most much closer to having uh, came out, and mostly the emotions I felt were rage and fear, and it was like pulsing through the show, like that's what it was. And then it was like, well, I still feel those things, but not as intensely. Like there's, it's not as much, like screaming in defiance and rage as it is i want to portray sort of the nuances of my my existence yeah i like i like crying on stage and most times i perform that show i cried on stage and there was not a part where the scripture goes chloe cries just because i find that i like the way that feels and I, I think because I know we we went on a, a very good tangent, uh, but the tangent away from Shrill and away from Betty Harrison, <laughs> but to bring it back in, like that idea of like as much as we are expressing this as like these are things that we have done and these are things that just like feel great as as performers. At the same time, like with with a Patty Harrison and a Ruthie character, it, it's so nice and refreshing to see a character that doesn't need to go in that direction. And yeah, like we, we want to be up for those types of characters. We want those characters to exist. Um, yeah. So I'm, I, uh, I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Cause I, and I definitely have like felt shackled. Like after I, I wrote my show, I was like, well, do I do a show that's more traumatic next? Is that what I have to do now? <laughs> and a lot of the stuff I make and a lot of stuff I love the best is just purely silly. Like there might be cleverness in this construction, but ultimately it's just a big silly piece. And like, 
Like those are the roles. Like I didn't grow up wanting to be in these super nuanced emotional comic roles. I grew up like worshiping like Robin Williams, where it's just like a big silly clusterfuck. And this is a big like she is a she is a muppet in a character with in a, in, a, in a show with otherwise real characters. Like she is a full on cartoon nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> on a backdrop of a show that is very actively dealing with trauma. Yeah. And then she gets to go, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone but me. And it's so funny because like, I feel like she's also the uh, next logical step from um, another Hulu original series, Difficult People, which had uh, Shakina Nafok portraying a character who was two things not just a trans person but a trans person who is also a 9-11 truther <laughs> i can't off the top of my head remember the character's name because i'm bad at names but shakina nafok plays it perfectly because it's very much like every time she'll say something that is very like explicitly like this is about trans stuff in the same sentence it'll also be like i'm as trans as i'm sure that jet fuel doesn't burn <laughs> <laughs> I say this is difficult people. I need to watch it. I do though. I see one clip from it where she starts calling someone a cis bitch, and then um oh, and then Billy Eichner starts also calling that person a cis bitch. <laughs> and I've been calling people cis bitches ever since. <laughs> it's 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 a spectacular series honestly like uh her character and again i'm so fucking bad with names uh doesn't show up until season two i'm i'm horrible about character names <laughs> yeah but yeah she, yeah she doesn't show up till season two but i love season one and then into season two she shows up uh first episode and it's just it's a different like it's so good it's so good and then again this being the next logical step where instead of someone who is not only defined by their transness is also defined by the fact that they're a 9-11 truther we have someone who is not defined by her transness except on her terms and it's usually in ridiculous fucking ways <laughs> and i think that just more to normalize like trans folk than shows that are more explicitly dealing with trans issues because i think that is like uh i think i think that i think people who are anti-diversity who are racist idiots uh but uh <laughs> Uh, picture it being like all of these like lifetime movie moments when to me like what trans inclusion looks like is Ruthie like is Patty Harrison playing a character who is incidentally trans damn like that it's it's like it's important in like one scene but otherwise she's just she's just an asshole <laughs> yeah i think i think so much of it is for so long media has been creative where if a trans person exists they have to be uh, uh what do you call it like they it has to be defended by the fact that something is happening in narrative and that narrative is usually tragic and that narrative is usually about the transition because and again i'm speaking from uh like a, a producer mindset why do something different quote unquote if you're like if you're not going to go into it like why make her trans if etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's just like all right we're done with that now give us random characters that are trans on their own terms so to speak <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's oh it's so yeah. good it's so good she's such <laughs> she's such a nightmare like i actually just watched um a super cut of like the best patty harrison moments from shrill to get in the right <laughs> mindset for this and every scene i'm like there's a scene where she's having a birthday party at a roller rink yes and then she gets the mic and tells everyone that there's an active shooter and then she says the active shooter is me because i'm about to blow your minds out which is like that is the worst so thing horrible. you could say or do like that is like in any real world, that character, if there are coworkers there, that character does not have a job the next day. That's not an okay joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Uh, we got to start wrapping up. There is one other aspect of the show that I want to talk about that has nothing to do with transness and is just, I am such a fan of Joe Firestone in general. Yeah. And she is so good in this. She's like, she's also not like, because I'm I'm used to Joe Firestone from Doctor Game Show, which is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Um, I was and... on a particularly good episode of that. Yeah, a lot of people were. say the episode I'm on was the best of all time of any type of I gotta, media. <laughs> I am, I am immensely jealous that you were on Doctor Game Show. I'm not gonna. Lie, I'm just you know just putting it out there. At the same time, oh, I'm so happy to hear it because you you went full heel. You were like, oh, oh no, no one's getting magnets. No one's getting magnets on. <laughs> That's part of why I love Patty Harrison is I feel like my like walking personal character joke is that I'm mm -hmm. horrible. <laughs> yeah, she's, Joe Firestone. she's like the best. Like Joe, Joe Firestone in this show is very much like, uh, uh, I forget if she's HR or if she's tech, but she's like in that kind of like space where she's supposed to be the character that no one really likes and is just kind of weird and she's just like i'm so used to her being this like bright happy like working with like random people and with children and doing these things from dr game show that it's like it's great and it's funny but like i'm not used to her being a sad person in the dark so it's just like kind of great oh and she's so good at it she's <laughs> she really so is. good at playing that like like the, have... like getting like the voice tremble and like the the the, the sort of like fallen the fallen shoulders and like saying every sentence like a space alien would say it like <laughs> oh yeah, i have a story about my brother who wore a top hat it's kind of long but it's really worthwhile it's like okay no that's fine uh actually it, it was me he wore a cowboy hat and it was kind of hot <laughs> what is the still firestone with this <laughs> yeah no she's stellar um actually and in that roller rink scene like moments after that joke she roller skates with a cake which she naturally like <laughs> drops in a wonderful piece of physical comedy oh well oh, there was something leading up to that that i wrote down scaring people makes me horny oh uh <laughs> in that episode <laughs> I just wrote, what the fuck is this song? Like, she's singing, uh, Ruthie is singing about being born, and at one point she uses the word genitalanus. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this song? <laughs> it did take me a second to uh, catch that this was a song she had clearly made up. <laughs> I'm also curious because I know with a lot of comedies, like this one's very, like, it feels very tightly scripted, but at the same time, I wonder how much of it is literally actors getting a little bit of freedom to either physically or verbally just like try something because that feels very like, I don't know. It just feels very off the cuff. Like, you, you know how you can kind of tell from a lot of pieces, like this one feels a little bit off the cuff. This one feels like it's been like very painstakingly written. And that song just felt so off the cuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard it's hard to tell because I remember I found out that there's almost no there are almost no improvised lines in Parks and Recreation, which Whoa. when I learned I was like mm. that's amazing because it is a show that is filled with world class improvisers. And they're like, mm -hmm. we always did a bunch of improvised takes and, and basically always went with what was what was scripted. A show with a number of world class improvisers, they almost never ever used improvised takes. Um because a lot of it is like also the people who are writing it are improvisers so that you i think that they're all good at capturing that like off the cuff feel because i'm trying to think about the because i feel like the the ones where i really notice it are like in a lot of feral comedies where it's clear that a lot of the writing was let's just do 30 takes of this scene mm. and like enjoy ourselves i i but i have a hard time putting a pin on what is and what isn't because like is this improvised or is it just written very naturally and these are powerhouse performers yeah because i and i i wonder because like it maybe and again like maybe because this is me just like as an outsider watching a thing being like oh i'm trying to figure that out like i i wonder how much of that is either like again improvised or just how much of that is patty harrison is just really fucking good and can make what's happening on here like sing like she's just thought of it off the top of her head and it's, and it's interesting because it's like, well, that sounds so much like a joke that person would 
come up with, but it's also like, it's not that hard to write a joke in someone else's voice. Mm. Um, like there's one, there's one line from Parks and Rec that is kind of famously improvised and it was from, uh, um, Andy and, uh, he says, uh, Leslie, I typed, I typed your symptoms into, into the computer and it says you have network connectivity issues. <laughs> which is a which to me i assumed was written i would have put anything that was written because it's so meticulous mm. um but yeah dude just dude just spat that one out <laughs> <laughs> oh all right so we gotta start wrapping up uh is there anything yeah. else that we haven't talked about the only other thing i want to bring up is that julia sweeney is in this and julia sweeney is another not alum of the podcast but alum of a piece that we have done on the podcast having been in work yeah. in progress yeah. <laughs> uh, it's nice to see her not playing pat uh yeah which is, admittedly, i also, I also have you seen just... work in progress out of curiosity no i have not highly recommend for a lot of reasons it like look up the content and trigger warnings just in case but like legit really fucking good really fucking funny has trans representation really like her has julia really sweeney like as me. julia sweeney <laughs> talking about pat uh that and how horrible it. it is it's that, kind yeah, of that's pretty well sold mate. that's phenomenal i think the other yeah. thing that we'd somehow managed to avoid talking about in shrill is how wonderful it deals with issues regarding like being overweight uh yeah or being per perceived perceived as overweight and like owning it and like uh but also like all the heavy backlash that comes from just trying to be like a happy fat person um it is it is one of the best comedies i think it's just it's legitimately one of the best comedies because it does what i think the very best comedies do which is they are incredibly funny while also um, saying something that I think they would have been unable to communicate without the comedy. But yeah, the, the other thing, and this is a thing that I'm trying to express a lot, is there is cruelty in the show, but the show itself is not cruel. Um, and I think that there, there are a lot of our, I think our listeners tend to understand that, but there are a lot of folks, like I work in a lot of sensitivity reading, I work in a lot of authenticity reading, I do a lot of these things, and I will look at reviews for pieces that I do a sensitivity read or an authenticity read, and many of them are saying transphobia was shown in this piece, and therefore this piece is transphobic. And it's not necessarily saying that Shrill has transphobia in it. I, I honestly don't think it does. Uh, we'll get to that at the end of this episode. But uh, at the same time, there there is definitely like a lot of cruel, like fat phobia. There is a lot of, uh, there is a lot, there is actually like a very nuanced look at homophobia in black communities, which I can't necessarily speak to. But at the same time, there's a lot of really cool and interesting nuance that I haven't seen in a lot of media within this piece about that. And I just, like, I want to be clear, yeah, there's cruelty in the show that is done to the characters, but the show itself I don't believe is cruel. Yeah, I think it it, it fits in a place where where the show is very potentially triggering for a number of issues, especially around body issues, but it is intelligent. It never punches down. Um, it's speaking from personal, like, lived experiences. It is about expressing what it is like to be a certain way in the world um and is pretty unflinching about it um i think it is masterfully crafted and i spend a lot of time thinking about and working on whether or not comedy is intelligent or not frankly i've ended up i've ended up writing things where i'm like you know i have ownership of this but this joke is fat phobic or this joke is transphobic so i'm not going to put it out like I've removed things from shows and pieces of mine that I've performed before because I'm like, this is just ugly. Uh, even though no one could tell me not to do this. Yeah. None of the none of the jokes are ever at her expense. Yeah. Like and and just to be clear, also, just because you're trans doesn't mean you can't be transphobic, just because like it, like these things can happen. And and... Very transphobic trans people. <laughs> They're <laughs> yeah. horrible. So with that in mind, with all of these things that we've said, I think people already know the answer to both of these questions, but the answer, yes, the question that we really transphobic, yes. No, <laughs> super transphobic. Don't, although it's shrill. No, uh, so is it transphobic and is it enjoyable? 
Uh, let's start with let's start with what I think is the obvious one. Was it enjoyable? Incredibly, it is a phenomenal A plus comedy, geniusly constructed, masterfully executed. Yeah, I highly, highly agree. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, like I'm because I, I believe that they were confirmed for another season and I'm very excited for the new season. Uh, I will yeah. have to look into that. Please, please don't hurt me. Please, please don't hurt me. 2020. I think I think that, that they have announced a third season. It is it is a sort of thing that if like you care about creating comedy and you care about comedy as art, this is one of the forerunners in our age. <laughs> and again, it also shows you away like there's so many comedies now that are just not mean and it's just like again it doesn't shy away from cruelty but at the same time it's like it's not a mean fucking show i love it um the the other question is it transphobic i don't i don't believe it's transphobic i i i vaguely remember because the second i realized a show does have a good trans character i start immediately looking at anything biologically essentialist has said I vaguely remember that there was like one biologically essentialist comment because that's normally what catches shows um, or, or works. But I don't I don't honestly remember. And clearly, if it did happen, it was so not egregious as to fall out of my head. Um, I think that the representation that, 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 that Patty's character, that Ruthie is nightmare creature that she is, is phenomenal trans representation. And an amazing avoidance of pigeonholing. Yeah, I I highly agree. Uh, yes, I want media that tells trans stories about trans things, but at the same time, I also love media that just has trans people in there being a fucking mean girl alien. Fuck it, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for this. <laughs> oh, she she just. Uh, yes. Okay. So I, I say no, not transphobic. Uh, obviously, like you say, there might be a comment or something that we did not discuss that might have uh, gone past us. But at the same time, there's so much good in this that, uh, yes, let us know if we miss something. But at the same time, like, I really don't think so. I feel like I'm very confident in saying, fucking, this is what everyone should watch if they want to start learning how to craft trans side characters, even if they're not specifically like Ruthie. <laughs> Or they could just all be Ruthie, and then you could cast me as them. Yes! <laughs> More Ruthies <laughs> for Chloe. <laughs> awesome. So tell people how to find you on the internet if you want them to. It's totally acceptable to say, don't find me. <laughs> yeah, uh, on, on the internet, uh, I'm on Twitter as Chloe Kozer, uh, K-O-S-E-R. I'm on Instagram as Chloe P. Kozer. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I got a website, ChloeKozer.com. Uh, my career has been utterly frozen by the pandemic so if you just like want to call and talk i'm available for that <laughs> also if you're um if you're <laughs> trans and or non-binary or if you're uh uh black or nbpoc i will coach teach direct look at your scripts for free just hit me up um i'm good at it i otherwise do it professionally um, but I'll do it for you for free. Yeah. Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. You can also look for Is It Transphobic on Twitter at Is It Transphobic. One day I'll stop being amazed that I actually started an Instagram, but I did for the podcast. It's <laughs> at Is It Transphobic. <laughs> There's also isatransphobic.com where you can go to hear old episodes as well as buy some merch. We have t-shirts, hoodies, uh, mugs. We're, we're looking at maybe socks. I don't know. There's a bunch of ideas. Uh, and, <laughs> and finally, uh, patreon.com slash isatransphobic where for just a dollar a month you get episodes one week early and I'm doing mini episode interviews with some trans, non-binary, as well as cis individuals who are doing some really interesting stuff with gender and I just want you to hear more about. So thank you so much for joining me, Chloe. This was a delight. Thank you so much for having me on. It is so nice. It is so lovely to talk to you do a second time because <laughs> I truly enjoy and admire you as a person. This has been a blessing. Well, thank you and thank you all for listening we will make sure that we have more discussions and conversations that are like sooner than three years 
Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. 